0: We urged the horses faster as another flurry of gunshots rang out against the darkening sky. Wisps of smoke, presumably from the train's engine, could be seen beyond the rise just ahead. The passenger train was due to arrive around 5pm. Just a few hours earlier, we got word that Bill Harrison and his boys planned to hit it on the way into town. I gathered up both of my deputies, Davis and Matthews, along with three men who were good enough shots with a rifle. Just in case the Harrisons gang did not attack the train, I didn't want to leave the town completely undefended, could have been a ploy for all we knew. Besides, being sheriff for only a few weeks, three volunteers were all I could hope for. We crested the rise and could now see the train halted below three overturned wagons blocking the track. At least a half a dozen bodies lay dead surrounding the engine. Your security measures seem to have worked, Mr. Clark, I said to the balding man who rode up alongside us, his escorts in tow. This was a passenger train, to be sure. Though, at least one car bore bonds and gold bars bound for the town's recently built bank. It also contained another contingent of armed guards like those Clark had with him. We descended the gentle slope and approached the wagons blocking the train's path. Watchful for any of Harrison's men who might have survived, we dismounted and used the wagons as a hitch for the horses. The two deputies and I checked all the bodies, all known to us and wanted for one previous offense or another. There were eight on the ground, and the gang couldn't have been much more than a dozen altogether. I stood up and looked along the length of the train, then back to Clark and the rest of the sortie. The sun was setting, and some of the men were retrieving lanterns and various long guns from their packs. Erison and his followers might have run off after they found themselves ambushed, but where was everyone else? train's crew, the ten guards stationed aboard, and the passengers caught in the middle. We need to search the train, I said as I rejoined the group at the wagon blockade. Yes, Clark started. The bonds in gold are in the armored car a second from the last. We'll go around. There are over twenty passengers aboard, Mr. Clark, I interrupted him along with the men you paid to protect this train. We ensure their safety first, then we try to get the train and its cargo into town. Surely your bank wants its new customers alive and well so they can entrust it with their money. Wouldn't you agree? I added before he could protest. The tension was quickly broken by a loud thud from the train, and we all wheeled about with weapons and lanterns raised. Stumbling towards us came a short, disheveled man, clutching his chest and repeatedly looking at the cars behind him. He tripped and fell on his back about ten feet from us. Ephraim Pearson, I said to the others almost dismissively as he tried to get back on his feet. The man seemed to finally acknowledge our group at hearing his name and immediately started scrambling to me. sheriff he started as both deputies grabbed a hold of him. We have to go, he said, now frantic. It's still in the train and. His words became jumbled together due to his injuries, hysterics, and the overwhelming smell of alcohol. We could only make out that something attacked him on the train, some animal by the claw marks on his chest. We tried several times to ask about the passengers only for him to look more confused and less coherent in his responses. Outlaw or not, it was obvious he needed medical attention. Go on, get him back to town, I said, standing and turning to Matthews. Get him patched up and see if you could find out anything more from him. We'll continue our search here. Mr. Clark, ever the gentleman, insisted on sending one of his men back with the deputy. Not as an armed escort or for medical assistance, but to send a dispatch back east of the bank's potential losses. Resisting the urge to shoot him, I agreed and nodded for Matthews to head back with his new travel companion. The sun now dipping below the horizon, I repeated our need to search the train for survivors or a trail if they sought refuge nearby. Even with most of the outlaws dead or driven off, coyotes and other predators pose a threat to anyone left out here alone. And hell, it's part of the reason I'm even the sheriff now. The town's previous top lawman stumbled too far outside the town limits on patrol one night a few weeks ago. Drunk as usual. And traders found his remains the morning after. With the marks on Pearson's chest, and his ramblings of a creature inside the train. It was reasonable to expect at least a few coyotes nearby. The ten of us split into three groups so that we could clear the train front to back. Three men would cover each side of the train, while the remaining four would go car to car, keeping the pace with the others. Deputy Travis and two of the volunteers took the left, while three of Clark's men took the right. Naturally, Clark insisted on being inside the train, along with his last remaining bodyguard, the third man from town. Dennis, I think. And me. Weapons in hand, we climbed up into the engine car to start the search. The smell of gunpowder was thick, a number of spent cartridges littered the floor and ground surrounding the locomotive. The men guarding the train had made short work of the gang's frontal assault. Finding nothing else and no sign of the engineer, we made our way to the door leading to the first passenger car. Noting the guard has his shock trained on it, I swung the door open. It was empty. I glanced at the others and we made our way inside. A few of the car's lamps were lit as the train was scheduled to arrive around dusk. There was nothing else in the car, no bags, newspapers, or any sign people were traveling in this car at all. We moved forward and I could see lights through the windows as the other two groups searched the outside. Occasionally, a lantern would drop below the window as they checked under the car. There was a scattered blood trail on the floor leading back the way we came. Must have been Pearson as he stumbled his way to safety before running into us. The door to the next car, however, was a much different story. Slightly ajar, we could see it was riddled with bullet holes and buckshot. We moved slowly now, not daring to call out to the victor and announce our presence, though they likely already knew of our approach from the lanterns. This time, The guard leveled his shotgun and I my revolver as Dennis moved alongside the door, Clark still at the rear, at least was close enough to give us some light. Counting from three in my free hand, I nodded and Dennis shoved the door open with his shoulder, or at least the door opened three more inches before he stumbled backwards. Several spent shell casings were sent rolling around the floor as Dennis caught himself on one of the empty benches. I paid little mind to him as I focused on any response from the next car or whatever was blocking the door. The guard and I stood there silently for another 30 seconds before exhaling. Looking down, I could now see a man's boot motionless behind the door. The two groups outside, covering us from the windows, started making their way forward so that we could safely clear the way to the next car. After waiting a minute for the others to yell of dangers ahead, we gingerly moved the man's leg to open the door wide enough to pass through. There wasn't danger ahead. No, it was pure carnage. Other than the dead man behind the door, another ten or so were strewn about the train car. A few lay broken in the aisle, arms and legs bloodied and twisted in ways more grotesque than those traveling freak shows. Most of the others lay among the passenger benches, slumped over them or fallen onto the floor between. Some of their limbs were torn off and scattered elsewhere. The metallic smell of blood was overwhelming, which lined nearly every surface. Handrails, windows, even the lamps gave off a darker orange glow from the spray covering them. Even the door to the next car was covered. Not just in blood, but the slumped bodies of two men who attempted to escape the slaughter. It took the sounds of the group vomiting, both those inside and outside the train, to bring myself back to the situation we were in. this, This doesn't make sense, I murmured. Glancing up in disgust, more from Dennis puking than the decimated human corpses before us, Mr. Clark impatiently looked at me to elaborate. Listen, we saw nearly the entire Harrison gang put down before they even stepped foot on this train. I said, pointing back towards the engine. Your security detail wiped them out with no more than two shots each. They're obviously well trained and can hold their own, I continued, gesturing toward his bodyguard inside with us. So, Mr. Clark, I stepped toward him, suppressing the urge to follow with my fist. Perhaps it's time you tell us what exactly is on this train. I could tell the others were looking at him too, some of the initial shock fading. We found the guards assigned to defend the train along with Harrison's remaining men. Well, the remains of all of them would be a more accurate statement. The silence and tension awaiting Clark's response was again broken, this time by several shots from a repeater. His men outside the train began shouting as a shotgun blast filled the air. We scrambled to the windows but couldn't make out what they were firing at. Only the silhouettes of the three guards were visible from the lantern's light and they were reacting to something further down the train. Davis, get to the next car! I yelled toward the opposite window, already jumping over the dead in the aisle to get to the door. Dennis and the guard were right behind me, the three of us moving the outlaw's bodies aside so that we could join the fight. The repeater let out several more rapid shots before it suddenly stopped. Right before something slammed into the car, it knocked us all to the floor. We climbed back up to open the door, and an agonizing scream came from just outside the train. Our group burst into the third passenger car, and immediately threw open the right side door to the outside. Get inside, someone yelled to the man not twenty feet away trying to reload his pistol. I couldn't make out where the other two were, if they were even still alive, with only the dying light of a broken lantern outside. He scrambled towards us, as did something massive out of the darkness. The three of us inside fired just as the creature leapt and knocked the man to the ground with incredible speed. I fired another round into its torso, but it didn't even react as it bit into the man's neck and tore his throat out. Another blast came from the guard's shotgun next to me, and the beast again leapt with impossible speed, but this time it leapt much higher. The car shuddered again, with much more force now. The thing landed on the roof Dennis was reloading his rifle As I frantically aimed my revolver all around the ceiling Having no idea where it was or how fast it could actually move Then a series of gunshots rang out behind us As Davis' group opened up on our assailant They were almost downed out by the heavy footsteps from above As this thing either dodged or was hit by them the car shaking with each one, the door the guard exclaimed, sprinting to the open door, where we hoped to save his friends before he could push it closed. There was a deafening footstep from above, far louder than the gunfire. A massive arm reached through the doorway and swiped across the guard's chest, then pulled his stunned, possibly already dead, body from the train and hurled it into the dark beyond. And it was over in an instant. This thing went from being under a barrage of fire, deftly moved above its target, killed him, and threw the man's body away like a child's toy. Panicked shouting came from the two men with Davis, prompting me to run to the windows facing them. I didn't even notice the thing had jumped from the roof, now bearing down on the group outside. It tore through the first man quickly, silencing his screams. With him fell the lantern, shattering it, and our only way of giving them supporting fire. Davis was next, as I recognized his voice cursing the thing as I brought him down. I don't even know if the last man even tried to fight when it fell on him. We only heard his plea for mercy cut short. I turned to Dennis, still in the center of the car, who looked equally frightened and defeated. It was at that moment I remembered Mr. Clark, and now saw him trying to unlock the door leading to the next car. And it looked different than the others. Not a simple wooden door, but a metal one. Damnation. With all these people dead and dying around him fighting for our lives against a massive creature. And this coward is still after his precious gold bars. But still, putting another barrier between us might buy us a little more time, whatever good it did in the end. You help me open this, Clark said shakily, finally seeming to realize the absolute disaster of the situation we were in. I brushed past Dennis, still frozen in the aisle, and together, Clark and I swung the lever down and unlocked the door. The train shook again as we started to slide the door open, and the beast had finished off its prey outside and was back for us. I swung around to see it come through the same door it ripped the guard from minutes ago. The thing was taller than any man I'd seen, head touching the car's ceiling. Blood dripped from its claws and from what looked like gunshot wounds all along its body. Dennis, regaining his composure, raised his rifle and fired. Even at a distance of mere feet, the thing sidestepped and the bullet instead shattered a lamp behind it. Burning oil ignited the dry wood inside the car, and two of the benches were quickly ablaze. It was an image almost of hell itself, This massive creature is surrounded by growing flames. Now in the light, I could see more of its features. Was it smiling? I shouted to Dennis to run, firing the three shots left in my revolver. Swearing, I watched as the thing grabbed him before he could even turn around. Clark called my name from the door. I turned and sprinted inside as Dennis cried out in terror, pain, and above all, fear. We slid the metal door shut behind us and engaged the lock, but the man's death could be heard all the same. I then collapsed against the wall, breathless, barely noticing from the cold surface that the entire inside of the armored car was encased in metal. Clark. The urgency, seemingly gone from his step, was inspecting the numerous crates, folders, and other items. I stared incredulously, sighed, looked at the locked door next to me. "'That will hold long enough for us to ready the weapons to stop it,' he said calmly, opening a crate. I don't even know how to describe the expression I gave him in response. Now this car was built with the same material used for the ironclads during the war. And I assure you, it can't break. Now hold on Clark, what weapons to stop it? I interrupted. Did you not see the amount of fire we poured into that thing? Plus, however many shots your men got off before we arrived. We don't even know what it is we're... Now Sheriff? I believe the creature outside is a werewolf. Clark responded. More importantly, we developed a weapon. I have a high degree of certainty can kill it, he continued. There were reports of one a few towns away, and I hoped to get this equipment into the new facility before the beast reached here. New facility? I said, frowning at the thought of the newly constructed bank. You didn't think to tell us any of this before sending two dozen men to their deaths? And if your weapon did work, how the hell is that thing still alive? Clark didn't answer, so I stood up to see what he claimed could possibly save us. Well, we found they have a weakness to a certain metal, he said as I approached. Bullets infused with this should have an effect within seconds, returning the creature to its natural form so it could be dispatched or captured. I started to respond, but knew the answer before asking. He never told the guards stationed on this train about the threat they faced, nor the retinue escorting them. He didn't give them any of the ammunition already on board. They didn't stand a chance. As if on cue, the floor shook as the creature, this werewolf, slammed into the metal door. The door, this car, are they? No. He looked at me as if I were a child. Well, The door can withstand its attacks for a while, but it won't be weakened or turned back into a man just by touching it. A single bullet piercing its flesh will, though. I moved back to the door checking to see if the lock was still firmly in place. Twice more the beast slammed into it, as if to mockingly reassure me. Clark was clumsily loading a repeater, obviously not as experienced at using one for all his confidence in the ammunition. I told him to give me the gun once it was loaded, being far and beyond the better shot between the two of us. The man didn't protest and handed me the rifle as he crouched next to the door. We had one shot at this. Maybe a few if I was quick enough. I moved back a couple of feet, giving myself the best chance of hitting that thing before it came through the door. Quietly counting from three, Clark pulled the lever down and started to slide the door open. The gunshot echoed throughout the car, followed by a howling scream of pain. Clark fell over, clutching his ankle, unable to support his weight after the bullet tore through it. He sat in shock and disbelief, taking nearly half a minute to realize the source of his injury, and looked up at me. I set the repeater on one of the unopened crates out of his reach. You were never honest with anyone, Dr. Clark, I said, kneeling back down. Still... When we heard you were moving your research west, I had Harrison here intercept your train. The man looked confused. Then shuddering, he turned to see the outlaw, still in werewolf form, in the doorway. I almost give him credit for not screaming. Still, I said, standing back up, you should have properly armed or at least warned your men about what they were up against. Were you so afraid they'd take all the credit if they fell the werewolf without you? Clark tried to stand and fell again, letting out another whimper of pain. You know, there's a lot you don't know about us, Doctor, I said walking towards the side door. Like how we don't just transform right at nightfall during a full moon. That's just the first time. I continued, nodding at Harris. We can control it to some extent. More will come, Clark said through gritted teeth, from anger and pain. I've sent dispatches to my superiors in the army. They'll soon know what happened on this train and how to stop your kind. I stopped, my hand resting on the lever to unlock the other door. Turning back to him, I responded. Yes, You sent him back with Deputy Matthews, did you not? I trust he escorted your man safely back into town. Confusion and then horror filled Clark's face as I smiled, gave a polite nod, and opened the door to the outside. Harrison tore into him as I stepped out. The doctor's screams, much more satisfying and lasting far longer than those of the men earlier. I looked past the locomotive and overturned wagons toward the town beyond. Smoke could be seen rising above the orange glow of fires in the night sky. And the good townspeople still had a few hours until dawn.